is more teaching than preaching. I know those things overlap, but we're going to look at a lot of scriptures and a lot of points, and I'm talking today about the Holy Spirit, which I love to talk about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit changes lives for the better. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of churches in America who never talk about the Holy Spirit. They just kind of ignore passages in the book of Acts, and they may ignore uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter 14. And, and I understand that sometimes it's a little complicated to interpret those, and that's why we're going to try to teach you for understanding. On the other hand, I think that the Pentecostal church or the charismatic church, that they have the right experience. I love experiencing the power of God, but they often, in my estimation, what you'll see today, um, their theology isn't quite accurate, or at least their nomenclature. And so I want to explain to you my journey. I've been on a journey for years, and I've studied the Holy Spirit quite extensively. I'm not saying that to brag, but just to let you know, this is not something I just thought about like Thursday when I was getting the outline together. Uh, this is something that's been a big part of my life. I even did, um, again, I'm not trying to brag on this, but I did my master's thesis on, on this subject. And I, I did it because I grew up in an Assemblies of God church, and I had a great experience encountering the power of God. Uh, but I also spent a lot of my education and, and a lot of my church experience with an evangelical, the evangelical church, which is, uh, you know, more like Southern Baptist Church of Christ and Methodist, and, and assemblies would be considered evangelical too. But um, they emphasize more of the experiential part of the Holy Spirit, while some of those other churches I mentioned seem a little nervous about that, a little scared of that. And this is what I feel like God's called, one of the things God's called me to do is to try to help bridge the gap between um, the charismatics and the evangelicals. Some people have accused me of like trying to find this middle ground for political reasons, like to try to make as many people happy as I can. And that's not the case at all. This is really how I have interpreted scripture and studied scripture and also experienced it. And it's not something that I just have come up with on my own. Today I'm preaching you know, under the authority of one of my pastors, Pastor John McKenzie uh, in Frisco, Texas. And we've walked through this journey together and actually had him look at my notes one more time this week and, and he told me, yes, that's how I teach it. And so that's part of it. Also, if you're, if you're, you may not be familiar with these different branches, but this is um, um, vineyard theology for those of you who know about the vineyard church. So I don't consider myself any longer a Pentecostal. I consider myself an empowered evangelical. You ever heard that term before? So it's not a term that I've made up. You can write that down, empowered evangelical. And I'm going to tell you these things today because at the end of, of our experience, not necessarily the end of this service because we're just going to take communion at the end of today's service, but at the end of our teaching on the Holy Spirit these coming weeks, on the weeks that I'm speaking, is my goal and an intention here is for every single one of us to want the Holy Spirit more and, and to lay aside maybe fears our scriptural misunderstanding, or so forth, so that we could all seek the power of the Holy Spirit more. So first thing I want to do, as we have a lot of ground to cover in a, in a short amount of time, so here we go, all right? You ready? You with me? Say, oh yeah? yeah? Okay, good. I just felt the room dead, and I wanted to liven you up a little bit. So um, first of all, let me talk to you about the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, is often associated with legitimate experiences that 
I think it's more helpful to call being filled with the Spirit. Now, really, it doesn't matter. It's kind of semantics, but in a way, but I want to take you back to the Scripture to tell you why I have this other preference. And the reason why is this, is that I believe all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation. And then we have experiences after salvation that fill us with the Spirit and open us to His power, manifestations of the Spirit, and all of the different things that um, the power of God is manifested in. Now, the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit is used seven times in the Bible. You can, put, you can fill this blank in. There's seven passages that refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's the interesting thing about these seven passages. Five of those passages are the same quote. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. Actually, I'm sorry, this is John the Baptist. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, this quote is, again, as you see in your notes, is given in Mark, Luke, and John as all four Gospels. Uh, all four of the Gospels point out to what John the Baptist said, Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit. And then again in Acts eleven sixteen, it's the same exact quote given again in Acts eleven sixteen. Now we go to the book of Acts and let's see what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Here is the number six instance of when the term baptism of the Holy Spirit is used. Acts chapter 1, he preached himself alive to them after his suffering for many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So both John the Baptist and Jesus created this anticipation that when Jesus went to heaven, when Jesus ascended to heaven, we were not going to be left alone. We were not going to be left in his terms as orphans. He was going to send his Holy Spirit who would always be with us. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would only come on special occasions. And the Spirit of God was located in a particular place. But since the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God is with us all. He's with us all at all times. And this all started in Acts chapter 2. After all of this anticipation, and, and now in the next, let's see, five to seven minutes, we're going to go over the, all the passages in Acts that talk about the giving of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe me? Do you believe we'll get through that? I don't know. Well, let's see. Let, let's go. All right. Here's the passages of the giving of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. First thing, I want you to write this down. On the day of Pentecost is where it all started. That's when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And what it did at that time, it created an international community of faith through the Jewish believers. That's your next blank there. So now all of a sudden the Jewish believers, you're going to see this, the Jewish believers got together and they came from all parts of the world. And, and the gospel was saying here, the, 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 the baptism, the spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit here was saying, this message is not just for Israel. This, this message is for the whole world. And a lot of times when you read the passages in Acts, we only interpret them through how it applies to me personally. And that's, that's, a, good, that's a good way and helpful way to interpret. But I want you to see what God is doing through the giving of his Holy Spirit to the wider um, 
community of faith and to the body of Christ. Acts chapter two, verse two. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, you'll see that part. So Jews were there, devout men from every nation. This was not, this was not a coincidence. God chose to send his Spirit during the Pentecost Jewish feast because he wanted this message to spread throughout the known world, throughout the Mediterranean world. And that's one of the reasons these gift of languages were giving. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, um, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Here we see, and I want, I want you to see that the message of Jesus and the gospel and the giving of the Holy Spirit woke up the world. The, the Jewish people all gathered for this feast and they all heard the praises of God in these languages which, which, in which they had been dispersed. And, and the message here is the message of Jesus, the gospel is for the nations. And we're seeing that today. You know that the message of the gospel is, is spreading throughout the world. Sometimes we get very discouraged because here in America, I know there's some dark signs and, and there's some things we don't like seeing in church attendance, church participation, morality. But in South America, in South America, revival is happening. And, and there's, there's a move of God happening all through that continent. 120 years ago, there were no Christians in the continent of Africa. Today, almost half the continent of Africa is Christians who believe in Jesus Christ. And there's a revival happening in Africa. In Asia, we cannot even keep up with the amount of Christians that are multiplying in China through the underground church that are meeting in homes and meeting uh, illegally because the spread of the gospel. Even in places like Iran, there's a 10 to 15% Christian minority there that is thriving, that are meeting illegally, and the gospel is spreading. This all happened because the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. No longer did God's people have to go to Jerusalem. No longer did they have to go to one place. No longer did they have to go to one temple because the Holy Spirit would go everywhere. You, you send us anywhere. You send us Christians anywhere. You send those of us who believe in Jesus anywhere, and we're not alone because the Holy Spirit's with us. Any tribe, any language, any nation, any culture. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I lost my five minutes, but all right, here we go. So now the next phase is this in the book of Acts. You can write this down, a Samaritan Pentecost. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, the first, the day of Pentecost is when the church was birthed and it became this international movement. But there were these people nearby known as the Samaritans who were traditionally and ethnically only half Jew. And they were derived. They, they, were, they were really thought of in, in really negative terms for the Jewish people. Often that is how it is. We, we hate people who are closest to us but are different uh, more than we do those who are very distant to us culturally. And so these Jewish people who had actually taken the Torah and kind of perverted it and kind of taken the Jewish religion and created this new religion... Well, they discovered the Messiah and they discovered Jesus. And the thought was, 
well, is the gospel for the Samaritans too? I mean, could, could the gospel be for these people? Are you kidding me? Look what happened in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet, he had not yet fallen on any of them. See, I almost said it too, it's he. He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So you see here that the giving of the Holy Spirit were, was a sign of confirmation that the Samaritans were part of the body of Christ and part of what the Lord was doing. In Acts chapter 9, this is not in your notes, but this is when Saul was converted to Paul. And he had an experience with the Holy Spirit upon that conversion also. So you can write that in your notes, Acts 9. There's actually five instances, but we're going to only look at four today. Now, the next, the, the fourth or, or, or the third, however you're taking notes here, is the Gentile Pentecost. Write that down. This is where those Gentile believers were confirmed by the Holy Spirit that they were part of the faith. And being someone with a background in the English, in England, in, in Europe, I'm so glad that this happened because if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be part of the faith right now. And for those who are in Asia, Africa, for Native American tribes, you name any ethnic group, this occurrence in Acts chapter 10 showed that the gospel was for everyone. The Holy Spirit was for everyone. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is good news. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So here in this instance, the Holy Spirit came before water baptism did. Sometimes water baptism came from the Holy Spirit. I think the point is the story of Acts is unfolding the, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and it comes upon salvation. And that's when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now here's the last example. This is Acts 19. This is when Ephesus, the Ephesus men became followers of Jesus Christ. This is our next blank here. Uh, became followers of Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. So here, here is an example, and, and, and theologians kind of debate, well, were they Christians or not Christians? And, and I, I believe that they weren't fully Christians yet. And so I, I just give you both sides of this argument, not that it, it necessarily matters in the end. What matters in the end is that we're seeking the Holy Spirit, okay? That's where we're going. We're all seeking the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 19, with verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said unto, then, 
into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So evidently these were men who were baptized before Jesus came on the scene. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So now this phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I told you that it was used seven times, five times it was the same quote. We already read in Acts chapter one, the sixth time, but I forgot to share with you the seventh time. And it's the only time this phrase was used after the book of Acts. And it's in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And here's what the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, Wayne Grudem, um, his, who's a Greek scholar, I'm not a Greek scholar, and other scholars have said this is actually the same phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit. For whatever reason, the translators decided, instead of saying for, we were baptized in the Holy Spirit into one body, they, they rephrased it, uh, who knows, maybe for modern political reasons, I don't know. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So the, the idea here is this, is that, all of us, and here's your next blanks here, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. And we receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is, this is good news. This is the news that I believe that the Lord wants to bridge the divide between the evangelicals and the charismatics. And as an empowered evangelical, the term that I'm claiming, uh, is I'm saying this, is that every single person has access to the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the delivering power of the Holy Spirit, and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Spirit, we all have the capacity to experience God. I want to address this right now. Some of you in the 1960s, 1970s, 80s, you never heard of the Holy Spirit. You're like John, the people in John 19. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And then you received what people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to know, I affirm that. I know that's of God. I believe that. And if you want to keep calling what you experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm fine with that. Okay? So I, if you've been calling it something for 30 or 40 years, keep calling it that. That's fine. I don't think the semantics are important. The importance is this. It's not important that we have a second experience after salvation. The importance is that we have a second, a tenth, a twentieth, a one hundredth experience being filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, we begin to operate in the power of the Spirit. And so it is that the, the, the focus and attention on the Holy Spirit fills us with daily power. It's not about us being able to look back about when we had a second experience. Well, it was at youth camp 10 years ago. Or it was at an evangelistic crusade 20 years ago. Or it was at a certain type of church 10 years ago. It's not about the second experience. It's about the third, fourth, 10th, 20th. It's about having an openness and a willingness and a capacity to say, I want everything the Holy Spirit has for me. And so this brings me to my second point, or, or however you're, you're numbering this, um, is this, is that we have experiences with the Holy Spirit after salvation. And, and this is where I, I'm believing God for those of you who have never heard of the Holy Spirit and his power, that some of these teachings will just open you up to that. 
For those of you who have experienced what I call being filled with the Holy Spirit, I, I pray that this will refocus you on your future and will cause you to seek the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves experientially with us now. And what happens when he moves experientially? A lot of things happen. My friend Don Gerald, he's one of my mentors, talked about uh, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was a pastor, actually. And he was, he was praying for this lady and nothing was happening. It was just one of those, Lord, bless him. Lord, let this be. We, we just be with her. And then really nothing happened. Then he said one of the grandmas in the church came, prayed for her. God set this, this person free, delivered them from what they were bound with. The power of God was there. And he said, I want what the grandma has. What is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so he begins to move in our life in new capacity, in new power. Later on in the summer, on the weeks that I'm preaching, I'm kind of weaving in and out this summer and preaching. We're just going to take our time. I know that we didn't cover some of the things mentioned in the scripture earlier because I was focusing on what God was doing um, in the wider community of faith, but we'll look at spiritual manifestations. We'll look at the power of God. We'll look at what signs and wonders are or what prophecy is and some things like that. And and we'll just kind of take our time. There's no rush on this. The point is this, is that the power of God begins to open up new capacity for us to experience him that points us to Jesus. Two weeks ago, I preached in here and I warned you, and I'm going to keep this warning before your consciousness, is that if you're ever part of an experience of the Holy Spirit that doesn't point you to Jesus, you need to be really careful. Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to Jesus. That's one of the reasons we're going to end today's service with corporate communion. We're going to go back to the cross, back to the resurrection, back to, back to the, the coming of the Lord, and we're going to focus on Jesus. But let me just tell you a couple of stories from my life. And I didn't really know Lord what the Lord wanted me to share today. Uh, I had three or four stories I wanted to share. And so kind of like the scriptures, I'm going to try to share Three stories really fast, okay? I, I can make them longer, but I'll, I'll make them kind of fast. When I was a kid, I was at a, uh, a children's camp. I went to a great church that believed in the power of God. And I went to bed that night, and I was kind of, you know, halfway asleep, about to fall asleep, when one of the counselors came in, and he said, uh, guys in the cabin next door, there's a prayer meeting happening. If you want to experience uh, the Holy Spirit, why don't you come with us? So I don't know why I just decided to go. And I remember walking into that cabin area and feeling God's presence for the first time that I really remembered. And it was very transformational. Um, kids that I grew up with who had been disrespectful and disinterested in the camp program and just not very compliant kids, we would call them little brats today, um, were seeking the presence of God they were giving bold prayers. There, there was a great sense of his presence there. There were spiritual gifts that were manifesting. And um, I went to a counselor and he asked if I wanted prayer. I said, yes. He explained some things to me and, and he began to pray over me. And I just began to weep in the presence of God. And that's it. I didn't say anything. I didn't, didn't do anything spectacular. I just wept in the presence of God. From that day forward, I, I was a child at that time, a preteen. Um, I, I just had a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit when I was walking with the Lord. And it just started, it just opened my door. It was a time when I was filled with the Spirit. And once I was filled with the Spirit, I just sensed God more frequently. 
the Bible just meant something more to me. Worship was, was more powerful. It, it was just a drawing to God, a wooing to God. And so as the years passed, there was many different experiences along the way. I was in college, and I had a friend of mine from my high school who went to college with me, and, and we had played football together in high school, and we were on the same team at this little, little college in Kansas City. And I knew Bubba did not go to church in high school. He was not a church-going guy. And so I knew his life well, knew his life very well. And this guy was the last person I thought would ever be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he started going to a church with his girlfriend um, of a pastor that I did not prefer. I did not like this guy because he was on TV. First of all, if anyone's on TV, that's one strike against him for me. I'm just kind of weird that way. I'm not into TV preachers. Um, and so, so, he, so he's on TV, so that's one strike. Then his style was real flamboyant, and I didn't like his style either. But my, my buddy was going to his church, and I began to see in Bubba's life the fruit of the gospel. I mean, Bubba was reading his Bible and he was like living holy and he was like, you know, doing the work of the Lord. And so there was one Wednesday that I was just in a foul state of mind. I just, you know, I just was not in a good state of mind. I was negative. I was mad. I was upset. Just, just without giving you all the circumstances, just, it was not, it was not a good day. And Bubba said, why don't you go to church with me tonight? I was like, I don't want to go to your church. I don't like your church. He's like, no, come on, why don't you go? So I said, why not? So I went to his church, and, and we're on a Wednesday night service, and we come to the end of the service, and the pastor that I don't like and I didn't prefer, and, and just quite honestly, I still don't today. I, I would never book him to come preach here or anything, but he, he was ministering, and uh, he comes to the end of the service, and people are praying and worshiping, and he just said, he started describing a situation that I knew it was me. He said, if you're in this situation, and he described some words, and he said, and I said, Lord, not this guy. Don't use this guy, God. <laughs> and so then he said, if that's you, I want you to come up here on the stage. And I'm like, I ain't going on the stage. No way, Lord, I'm not doing it. The Lord said, go up there. I said, no, Lord said, go up there. So I didn't, I, I didn't disagree with God, and I came up. And again, it's a casual service. Not, it's a Wednesday night service. I, I don't think there were as many people you know, at that night as there are here today. And, and he's praying, there's three or four other people. So he's praying for people down the line. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, he's doing this whole thing. I don't know if you've ever seen these guys on TV where they kind of push, you know, as they pray, pray, you know, and you're like, yeah, no wonder people are falling back. You're, you're, their head, you're, you're giving me a crank in their head. And so I already, you know, biblically had studied the whole falling, falling back thing. And, and just, you know, I don't see it in the Bible and, and it's never happened to me. It never follows my ministry. I know some of you it's happened to. I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying it just hasn't followed my ministry. And um, so I see these people getting pushed down and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm not going down. And, um, and uh, if this guy pushes me over, I'm done with this whole thing. I said, I'm done with this whole thing. If he pushes me over and, and so it's my turn. I'm thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? And he didn't even lay his hand on my head. He just, he put, he put his hand right here. There's no push. He just barely touched me and, and nothing. I didn't fall back or anything like that. Um, but uh, he said, let, let, like streams of living water, let the Holy Spirit flow. And I just begin to weep in the presence of God, much like I did when I was a kid. And so those experiences were probably, you know, 15 years apart, 10, 15 years apart. And then something happened to me. Uh, last month, it feels a little fresh to share it with you, but I'll go ahead anyway because I think the Lord wants to do it. I was in England, 
and I was spending time with Ben Cordray's brother. He's a pastor there, Josh. We were in southern England driving from one city to the next to do ministry. It was a couple-hour drive. And um, I'm talking to Josh kind of along this line, kind of like I'm talking to you. And, And I was telling him a dilemma that I have and the dilemma is this, is that I do feel like the, that God moves in me when I pray for people, when I'm living right and praying and stuff. And when I pray for people, I think powerful things happen and a prophetic gift comes forward in my life. But I'm like, I never, I don't want to be that guy that they're like, let's get to the man of God. Like, I don't have a vision of all y'all lining up here for hours and me praying for you. I don't even think that would be healthy for me, the church. But the problem is because I'm trying to avoid that type of maybe um, overemphasis, on one, being on one person, that I don't really pray for people a lot anymore. I kind of go to the prayer partners and that kind of stuff. And, and I was just telling this, I'm like, I can't figure out how to pray with people without people being drawn to me and not God. And so all of this was good. I think it was good motivation. So I'm talking through this with this guy. And this guy, Ben's brother, Josh, uh, he's such a talented guy. But one thing he's not talented at is tact. I mean, he's just, it's just blunt to a fault, you know? Uh, and, and so he listens to me and so he goes, well... I have something to tell you. First of all, you are wrong. I was like, thanks. And, and in retrospect, as I talked to Josh about this, he said I was actually trying to be really nice at that time, but uh, he just has a gift of bluntness, I guess. And he, said, he said, you're wrong. And he went on, he said, if um, God has gifted you to minister to people in a certain way and you're withholding that, you're wrong for doing that. Now, do you remember a commercial a few years ago where two guys are driving along and this like romantic song comes on and they act, they're like, don't change the channel. And then the next scene, like they're crying, you know, because of the romantic. So do you remember that at all? Well, thank you, Terry. Um, that kind of happened to me all of a sudden, like, like, again, the Holy Spirit just hit. When he said, you are wrong, the Holy Spirit just, just hit my heart. And, uh, and, I, and I began to cry a little bit. And he goes, oh, you're crying? I'm like, no, man, I got allergies. I'm looking out the window. But the Holy Spirit had to take me all the way to England on a, on a random drive because he loved me enough he wanted to speak correction into my life. And it was an experience with the Holy Spirit that's not even a month old right now. Why did I think it was important to tell you all three of those experiences that were almost spaced apart 15 to 20 years? Because there was a lot of experiences in between there too. Because the Holy Spirit is not about a second experience after salvation. It's about a fifth, a twentieth, a one hundredth. It's about daily exposing yourself and saying, fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me with everything that you have. Don't fill me with a memory. Holy Spirit, I'm not wanting to receive you so I could be classified as a certain type of Christian, a spirit-filled Christian, like there's two tiers of Christianity. God, I'm not trying to ask for experience just because I like a certain church and I want to be qualified for their leadership. No, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what we get? And you can write this down. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We get His power. And what, what are we talking about with power there? Are we talking about, oh, I feel like electricity in my hand. Woo, I got to pray for people because there's power in my hand. Uh, it's not about that. It's power over sin. It's, it's power to live a life of morality. It's power to touch the hearts of people with timely messages from God, with timely scriptures. It's a power of God to make the word of God attractive to us, to to make the song of the Lord something that we want, not something we feel obligated to listen to or to participate in. 
The power of God is about participation in the gospel message integrated into every part of our life. The gospel message is not something we do. It's who we are. We're not compartmentalizing our life. Our life is his. Our life is about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is empowering us to live for Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit is about how we treat our spouses. Because if you have all types of, you can mimic all types of spiritual manifestations, but you're not man enough to serve your wife, then the power of the Holy Spirit hasn't truly sunk into your life. Power of the Holy Spirit is how we think about our kids. You know, my daughter is accomplishing great things at MTSU right now in, in this art school. But I texted her, asked her where, how her devotional, you know, how she was doing with the Lord. And she texted me some things back and I, and I told her, I said, I said, what you do privately with God makes me more proud of you than anything you ever publicly do on stage. Can I tell you what that is? That's the power of the Holy Spirit upon me, parenting. Because see, our flesh, we just care so much about our kids' music, our kids' sports, how much money our kids are going to make, how prestigious their college is going to be. All those things are important. I understand those. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you begin to care about their soul. You begin to care about the state of their devotional life. You begin to care about things that matter. You see, I could make you psychologically agree with me and you can say yeah that's a that's I agree with the things Aaron's saying but without the Holy Spirit those things will leave your life but when the Holy Spirit begins to work with you in power it sinks into the essence of who you are it's a transformational power of God the power of God to be a man or woman of God the power of God to overcome sin to overcome addiction the power of God is to release his delivering power over those you love to speak blessings over your children that's what I'm talking about the power of God the power of God It's not so much about what happens in here. It's about what happens when we go out there. That's the power of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We need that. I'm so limited with my talents, my abilities, my perspective, my morality. I need the Holy Spirit's power. Can I tell you, it's available to all people at all times. And for some of you who are seasoned with the Holy Spirit, I just challenge you in the next 48 hours, would you find a place with God? I mean, turn off your entertainment just for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Go to your prayer closet. Put on a worship music. Connect with the Holy Spirit. Get these notes back out and and, and study them. And for those of you who are just learning about the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've been part of a faith system that ignored the Holy Spirit, this is all I'm asking you to do, just to open your heart just a little bit. That's it. Just open your heart. Lord, I just want to open my heart to what you have. And I'm going to tell you, we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit move in this service today. And I was kind of joking, but I was actually being truthful. I didn't think any of y'all would come to the altar. I didn't. I thought that this service was too hard-hearted. I thought that there's no way. And the Lord sent a very unlikely person. And he looked me in the eye and said, do not. He said, open up the altars this Sunday. You know, that was a message from God for you because he loves you. He loves you. And your pastor sold you short. <laughs> and he loves you. And it's about symbolism. I'm not saying that those who didn't come or we need to come every week, I'm not going to go that route. It's, it's all symbolic stuff. But, but some symbolism is important. It's a power of God to change life. So here's the last point I'll make as we we move and ushers, you can begin to position yourself is we should all seek to be filled with the spirit on a a continual basis. That's what this is about. It's not about, are you a Pentecostal? Are you charismatic? Are you a Baptist? Are you church? Forget all that. If you Methodist, none of that stuff matters. 
What matters is, are you seeking the Holy Spirit daily? Are you saying, Holy Spirit, take control of me. Take control of my mouth. Take control of my entertainment. Holy Spirit, take control of my family. Holy Spirit, take control of my job. Holy Spirit, take control of every part of me. We want a practical uh, living out of this Holy Spirit power. We want this Holy Spirit power to infuse every part of our life because we need it. And the church needs it. Every church in this city needs it. Every church in this region sees it. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is beginning to move. Here, here in this, are you singing that same song? Okay, Beth, Beth's gonna sing a song that, that I love right now because I believe it's a prophetic song over our generation. And, and it's played on the radio often. And it's sung in almost every church in the city. And I believe that some pastors and people are singing and praying things they don't even understand, but it's a prophetic word. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. Do you really believe that? That the Spirit of God can come and begin to transform us as a people and He can begin to transform us as individuals and He can begin to change us from the inside out? You know man can do that. I can't manufacture that in you, but the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's what He's gonna do. And at the end, you know what happens when, when we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? You know what happens? We love Jesus more and we love people more. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yes, maybe God will do something different within our service. He did something a little different today. And, and that's great, God, whatever you wanna do. But he does things in this service and in 4.6 and in journeys and at youth camp in two weeks and at Camp Blast not for the experience there, but so that we can take the gospel and integrate it in our lives and, and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. Let's pray together. I get a final.